0: ever have that feeling in worship when you just wish you could like give more or do more like it's just so not enough Father, we just pray for ears to hear in the spirit, from your word, the truth you have for us today. I pray you'd put a guard on my mouth that only your words would come forth like a double-edged sword, dividing every lie deception, stronghold, confusion, counterfeit, compromise, and anything else that would come against your word and your will for us today. We pray that they would be exposed by your word, cut out of our lives. We pray that this sword would come sharp today. With no defensiveness, with no Hiding, defending. We pray for supernatural trust right now. Sanctify us by your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. All right, so um, as we read these three... text in Revelation why don't you just think about uh, a common a a commonality between each of them alright so the first one is Revelation 21 1 through 9 if someone wouldn't mind reading that for us now I saw
1: now I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Also, there was no more seed. Then I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for our husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexual immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone
0: which is the second death. Okay, so this text is the opening of what? The age to come. Mm -hmm. Right, the age currently, the age we are in, ends with the great (laughs) white throne of judgment. And this text is the beginning of the age to come. And now we're going to get just a little bit more details about the age to come. So now we're going to go to Revelation 21 and someone please read for us 22 through 27.
2: By no means enter in enter in anything that defiles or causes it an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's
0: Book of Life. Good, we're looking for commonalities here. The last one is 12, uh, tw- I'm sorry, chapter 22, verses 12 through 16. If someone wants to read for us. common, something common between each of those texts that the Lord kind of highlighted for me this morning. This may seem simplistic, but the reminder is profound, and that is there is no sin in the age to come. You guys see that in each of those texts? As it was describing the age to come, each of those texts very clearly listed what was not there. We don't need to go back and read that list. I'll just summarize it in one statement. There is no sin in the age to come. There's no sin. There's no sinning. There's no sinners. There's no lies, there's no idolatry, there's no counterfeits, there's no compromise. None in the age to come. So I make that point to make this point uh, yet another time because it's so important that we lay hold of this truth uh, and it becomes an awesome foundation As we talk about practical application, the practical application that we're gonna get into today makes great sense when you think about this foundation that in the age to come, there is no sin. In the age to come, there is no sinners. In the age to come, there is no sinning. There is no lies, no counterfeits, no compromise, no lawlessness, no idolatry of any kind. Are we all in agreement? So here's what we need to be very, very clear. I made mention of it a couple weeks ago, but I want to come back to it. To enter into the age to come in our old nature would be absolute misery. It's, it's impossible and it would never be possible But think about if it was, the age to come is perfect by God's will, by God's ways, by God's purposes, by God's agenda. It is all of God manifested all the time with absolutely no curse, compromise, or counterfeits of any kind. So to enter into that with a nature that opposes God and with a nature that is the enemy of God and with a nature that cannot submit to God and with a nature that cannot understand God and with a nature that could never worship God, do you realize how miserable that would be? Everyone hearing what I'm saying? So, So when I say that, now we can kind of work backwards and once again, dispel this lie regarding the second covenant and lie regarding the commandments of God and lie regarding the, the need for holiness one more time by saying, uh, Jesus didn't die so that our old nature could be covered by the blood and therefore be given a ticket into the age to come. Everyone hear what I just said. It's super important that you get what I'm saying right now. Jesus did not die as our sin offering so that our old nature could be covered by the blood and given a pass into the age to come. That's super important we get that. Sin's not welcome in the age to come. Sin's not present in the age to come. Any who practice sin are outside. Read the text one more time. Every one of those there says there's something going on on the outside. Right? So so um, let's go back and, and see how this comes full circle real quick. Go to Genesis 3 with me. When did the old nature begin, by the way? At the fall. One of the... One of the consequences or outflow outflows of the fall we see in Genesis chapter three, starting in verse 22. Then behold, the Lord God said, "Behold, man has become like one of us, to know good from evil." I'm sorry, to know good and evil. And now, lest he put out his hand and take also from the tree tree of life, eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden till the garden I'm sorry sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken so he drove so he drove out the man and he placed cherubim at the east side of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life and we've mentioned we made mention about this text before being really the ultimate expression of God's love because, because why was the exile necessary, according to that text? He would, he would not, he loves us too much to allow us to live forever with that sin nature, with that fallen nature, right? So think about that, that truth, that God loves us enough to cut us off from the tree of life while we are in our fallen nature, right? So does it make any sense that Jesus died to essentially get rid of that cherubim so that our fallen nature can get a pass into the age to come and take once again from the tree of life. Makes no sense. Right? So we got to remember this whole story is about God getting what God wants. Right? The whole story of the Bible is that God wins. And God gets what God wants. And the cross... And the second covenant. And, and really every aspect of this story from beginning to end is God dealing with what happened at the fall. And specifically what needed to happen in order for Genesis 3, through 24 to be reversed. And what needed to happen? Somehow, way, the people of God needed a new nature. Right? We didn't need a hall pass to move into the age to come with our old nature. We needed a new nature. Everyone following me? So now go with me to uh, 1 Corinthians 15. What God has always wanted from the very beginning is a people who would share in his nature. It's what he's desired from the very beginning, a people that would share in his nature, that would share his heart, share his spirit, that would bear his image, that would align with his ways, that would participate in his will for the entire cosmos. That's what God has always wanted. And we must um, constantly be reminded and never forget that when we are resurrected in the age to come, we will 100% have his divine nature in place. Okay, so let's go to First Corinthians 15 real quick. Someone find that? Uh, verses 42 through 50.
3: So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness.
0: It is raised in power. Okay, what is what is Paul teaching on here? The resurrection. the resurrection of the dead. Okay, everyone is aware, if you are born again, you are going to be, as every other one that belongs to God, bodily resurrected. Okay, we will live on the new earth in a new body, with a new nature, because God found a way To get what he's always wanted. Okay, so here Paul is giving as best as uh, our human brains can understand it. He's giving a, a teaching on this resurrection. So start over, Kirby, and read it one more time.
3: Verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. In power, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and there is a spiritual body, and so it is written the first man, Adam, became a living being, the last Adam became a life giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural, and afterward, the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, the second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so also are those
0: who are heavenly. Amen.
3: And as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man.
0: We shall bear the image of the heavenly man. So I'll repeat what I started with. There is no sin in heaven. There is no sinners in heaven. There is no old nature in heaven, there is no lies in heaven, no idolatry in heaven, no mixing in heaven, no compromise in heaven, no counterfeits in heaven. No old nature will somehow sneak in. Why? Because it would be, it would go against how the God of the Bible has treated that fallen nature from the very beginning, never allowing it to live forever, never allowing it to take from the tree of life. Okay, so so make no mistake when we are born again, I'm sorry, when we are, when we are resurrected from the dead, we will be resurrected with incorruptible, glorified bodies, and the divine nature 100% in place. And what we're, what we're learning right now, what the Lord is showing us is... is um, that as we've talked about the last couple of weeks partaking in that divine nature while it will be our 100% normal uh, in the age to come it is available to us here and now That that we from the time we are authentically born again until the time we die we are in a state of two natures battling each other right? Our old nature That we were born with, the new nature that the second covenant is based upon, the promises of the second covenant are based upon. So we've made mention, and Michael mentioned it this morning, yet the scriptures teach that there seem to be available to all of us who are authentically born again moments of perfection. And that is not to say moments of being equal to God. Absolutely not. But moments of being perfectly aligned with him. Perfectly submitted to him. Perfectly united, at literally at the, at the level of our nature, to be partnered with him in whatever he's doing at that moment. So think about Jesus. Jesus is the only begotten son, right? We are all adopted sons. Jesus being the only begotten son was born at his original birth of the spirit, right? We all must be what? Born again to be born of the spirit. But Jesus was born of the spirit, his original birth, and he said things like, the father and I are what? One, right? Meaning, meaning that there was a unity that they shared that we seem to be, according to the text, we seem to be able to share in as well. And Peter describes it as partaking in the divine nature. All right, so let me, I just made this little diagram to to kind of give us a visual. Uh, When we are born, we are born 100% with uh, our old nature, our sin nature, right? We walk in this sin nature 100% of the time, until we are authentically born again, right? And that is why, by the way, if anyone who is not born again is weekly attending services and and worshiping, they are not worshiping the God of the Bible. They are worshiping a, a God of their own making. The Bible is very clear about that. The gathering of the saints is not the gathering of unbelievers. I just read a quote, Charles Spurgeon quote that said, oh no, it was R.C. Sprouls. He said, said, in the gathering of the saints, we feed the sheep the word of God. And if a non-believer happens to show up at that gathering, we do not change the diet. Right? That's a very convicting truth to the church today. The church today is often entertaining the goats. Right, feeding them the only thing goats can eat, which is self-help and motivation and all that other nonsense. The sheep feed on the word of God. Right, side note, soapbox. Sorry, we're born 100 percent with a sin nature, our 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 old nature, and we walk in that 100 percent of the time until, if the Lord has chosen you, predestined you. For holiness in Christ, adoption in Christ, then you are justified. Justification is a single act, I'll remind us, a single act based on the cross, right? The faith to believe, the belief to understand, the understanding to trust, and the obedience to walk out the protocol of Repentance and baptism, that is all the gift of God. By his permission, on his timing, however he decides it, for the specific people that he chooses. Being justified is a single act based on the blood of Christ alone. And that is being born of the spirit or born again. Okay, justification then leads to a process called sanctification, which happens from that moment of being born again to the moment that you die and sanctification is a process of transformation right and if we want to think about that transformation in these terms i think it's very helpful it's basically the the learning how to win the battle between the two natures right the battle that is raging literally every moment right it is a it is a transformation to go from more regularly walking in our old nature to more regularly walking in the divine nature. That is a transformation process. We are being changed in order to carry that out. Conformed into the image of Christ. Right? This is what the law could not do in the first covenant. Because the, the old nature was not going to come in. Right? A new nature had to be available. Had to be, God had to figure out how to make it available. So at the born-again moment, two promises are given, granted, a new heart and a new spirit. And it's by those two things that this divine nature becomes available to us. So sanctification is the process of learning how to partake in it, right? Glorification then happens at the resurrection of the dead. We We are raised in glorified bodies and in those glorified, incorruptible bodies, we will walk in that divine nature. Why? Because we are in the age to come. And there is no sin in the age to come. There's no sinners in the age to come. There's no lying, no counterfeits, no idolatry, no lawlessness, nothing that opposes God. Everyone understand those, those three steps? So, so as we are gathering to study the word, we, we do so for the purpose of sanctification. We do so for the purpose of learning how to walk in the divine nature. And this is the life of the disciple of Christ. It's why we gather. It's the only reason we gather instruction on and training in righteousness. Okay, so... um, Another way we can, um, I was just thinking about this, going back to the Day of Atonement in Tabernacles this year. Everyone, anyone remember what was our little theme entering into Tabernacles this year? Practicing perfection. Why? Because you don't get to bring your sin into the age to come. Like like i I believe that was from the Lord at the time, and now I see even more clarity of what he was beginning to prepare us for. The difference between the old nature and the new nature, the sin nature and the divine nature. Even walking in our divine nature, when the Bible says that we are sinless or can be perfect, it's because in the divine nature there is no sinning. Why? Because his seed is incorruptible and his seed is inside of us. 1 John chapter 5. So again, there those, those moments where they may be only moments, as Michael said, they are powerful moments. There are moments when this mouth becomes his mouth. And as he says in Matthew chapter 7, the words that come forth are not even your words anymore. They're my words speaking through you. Right? It's, it's, it's real ministry. The real ministry that is the humanness is, is, is put aside. This becomes a vessel of the spirit of God. And it's the purposes and will of God that come forth. That is the divine nature and that is us being image bearers as we're destined to be. So God wants to say, okay, those moments where right now they're happening once a week for 15 seconds, I want them to happen twice a week for 5 minutes. And then five times a week for a half an hour. And then every day you're going to you're going to have moments of this of this unity with me, this oneness with me that that's going to make you very useful in the ministry of reconciliation because your wife needs to be edified and I'm going to edify her through you. And your kids need to be exhorted and he's going to exhort them through you. And someone at work needs a prayer for healing and I'm going to do it through you. These are the moments that the divine nature matters so much. We're not doing this to be able to do cool stuff, you know, to have special powers. That's super popular in the body of Christ right now, right? The people go and spend thousands of dollars to go to these supernatural schools of ministry. So unbelievably unbiblical. There's no place in scripture that says us having power is a result of schools or techniques or trainings, or anything like that. It is purely the divine nature of God flowing through a vessel that's pure and humble. Mm -hmm. And absolutely, absolutely never for profit. Because it cannot be bought, or sold, or taught. taught. (laughs) Okay, so... Let's go back to 2nd Peter and the text that we're working through right now. If someone wouldn't mind starting us off just reading 2nd Peter 1 through 4, I believe it is. Yep. be reminded saints you must be born again why because it's his divine power that's given to us so that we can live godly it's not by trying harder it's not by effort it's not by subduing the flesh it's not by pounding our sin nature into submission that is false religion uh, False righteousness, Pharisaical righteousness, 101, thinking that we can do this on our own. Be reminded, he says, this is by his divine power. And now he's going to get specific about it. Go ahead, Angie.:
4: Through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given
0: to us exceedingly great and precious promises. These are the promises that the Second Covenant is based upon, a more excellent ministry based on what? Better promises. So the promises are given to who? Only those who are born again, adopted into the family. They are inheritances. If you don't think, remember anything else about the promises, remember they are inheritances. So who are they available to? Only those who are adopted. These inherited promises are what allow us to partake in the divine nature. I'm sorry, Angie, go ahead. Amen. So the sanctification process is about winning the battle between the natures. It's about learning how to put off the old man and put on the new. Put off the old nature, partake in the divine. Put off the flesh, walk in the spirit. All essentially communicating the same things. Okay, so uh, now he's getting ready to, to talk about the application piece. So going back to my my, my statement in the beginning that foundation, foundational understanding that no sin enters the age to come, no sin nature enters the age to come, uh, that becomes the foundation for this application piece. Because now we're getting ready to read about what we do, what we must do, what we must be diligent about, like the practical day-to-day stuff, the practical everyday stuff. And and if you need a way to think about it, I think it's an awesome way to think about it. It's about practicing how we're going to live forever. Because in in the age to come, we will always walk in the divine nature. God wants us to begin practicing that here and now. And benefiting from that here and now. And being useful to him because we are partaking in that here and now. So these are super practical steps, but it's, it's way beyond just living a good life. Right? It's way beyond... Self-righteousness, you know, for pride's sake, holiness for ego's sake. This is about practicing how we're going to live forever. Practicing how we've been destined to be from the very beginning. What God's always desired of people after his own heart, who share in his nature, who share in his heart, who share in his spirit, who share in his image, who share in his ways, who share in his plan and his purposes. In these divine moments, to greater and greater degrees. Well, there's instruction on how we go about doing that. Beautiful. So let's read them real quick. Verses five. Well, let's let's read five through eleven, and then and then we'll go back to the one that we're on, verse five. So, Angie, you want to keep going? Amen. I pray that we all um, receive what verses 5 through 11 is really communicating because it's super, super powerful to any who have ever questioned their salvation, to any who have, have ever questioned whether or not they're authentically born again, to those who struggle with past sin, past doubt, past fear, past habits, past appetites. This is specifically talking about what to do about that. Very, very awesome. Very powerful. Okay, so let's go back to the beginning. He says, for this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue. And we talked last week that the faith in that list, what makes it unique to the other things in this list? This one is given by God. The faith one is what we all have if we are authentically born again. Not because we are better than anybody else, but because God gave it to us. The faith to have our eyes opened and respond to the gospel is a gift from God. Right? So, because He is writing to the saints, that's a given. Right? So, when He says add to faith, Faith is the given part, and faith is specifically conviction of a religious truth, or in this case, conviction of the, of the certainty of Christ for salvation. It's the faith of the gospel, the faith of the cross. Okay, so he says to add to that virtue. What's virtue? Moral, Moral excellence. It's moral excellence, goodness of character, moral strength, moral courage, a strong connection to manliness and womanliness, specifically being an excellent person in life as a man and as a woman, and this is the specific part, according to God. All right? because who is this text written to? Believers. How long have believers been going? A couple thousand years. Right? How long will believers go? We don't know. What part of the world do believers fall in? What cultures are believers a part of? Right? So, so any time when God exhorts us to, to be something or to do something like live Morally excellent, we have got to come back to what's written to know what he means. Because if we go by culture, or we go by time period, or we go by uh, any other category, right, it could change. And God, God doesn't change. So, so to virtue, we must add what? Knowledge. Knowledge. And I suspect, I looked it up, there's nothing fancy about the word knowledge. I suspect it's specifically regarding to the thing that precedes it, right? So in other words, he's saying to to live the most excellent life as a man and as a woman, we need to add the knowledge of what that is based on God's word, right? Now go back to the very beginning of this sentence and it says, but also for this reason, What's the next three words? Giving all diligence. So uh, I I love that this list and the things that are to be added, that that's how uh, Peter starts this instruction. It requires diligence. And in fact, he, he says all diligence. Right? This is a, this is a, This is work. This is effort. This is intentionality. This does not just happen. What does not just happen? Adding virtue or excellent living to our faith. That does not just happen, it requires work. And in this case, perhaps for some of us, we got to learn what the Bible means when it says moral excellence. Right? Anyone else find themselves in that place? Like, I thought it was wonderful a couple weeks ago when I was when I was just getting into this to think, all right, I'm being exhorted or encouraged to live morally excellent, and and I loved how it you know was specifically tied to the word manly or manliness, and I just immediately thought to myself, what does God mean by that? And that's like the right question to ask. As it relates to moral excellence, what does God mean by that? That's the right question to ask. We don't ask Oprah or or Dr. Phil or Jordan Peterson or whoever else is popular these days. We go to the word. And I mentioned this last week and I encouraged us each to dig into that, dig into moral excellence, dig into excellence of living, dig into the biblical definition of living as a man well, and living as a woman well. How many many dug in in one way or another? It requires diligence. How many dug in and had amazing revelations come through come from it? Good. Did you? What was your revelation list? That's a long list. Mm-hmm. Anyone else have any profound revelations?
3: Uh, for myself, I think it was uh, an aspect of manliness that can be summed up by confident leadership. Mm-hmm. A bit. And I think that's a, an invitation that is directed straight
0: at me. So. Amen. Yes, ma'am.
5: So, i don't know what, what god says in the bible most of the world will tell me well that's just then you're not then that isn't right that is weak Then
0: that is and god yeah. gets uh, accused of being misogynistic or sex or sexist right it's super super powerful by the way to to um and this is how i know this is why i know the lord is leading this way guys you're gonna do this on your own. I'm telling you, he's just not letting me do it. This is gonna be done on your own, in your study, because I could tell Diane till I'm blue in the face, on your head, submit to me. On your head, submit to me. On your head, submit to me. That means so much less than her digging into the word and hearing from the Spirit about what that really means. And when I say, on your head, submit to me, if there's any alignment with that, often it will be the flesh white knuckle alignment, not the Spirit divine nature alignment. So this is why faith comes by hearing, hearing by, by the Word of God. This is why sanctification comes by the Word. Right? Sanctification does not come by preaching. I'm sorry. I wish it did, you know? I wish I could just sit and listen to sermons and be transformed. It doesn't work that way. You can be encouraged, right? You can be edified, you can be, uh, you know, preaching is important, but when my girls are in the word and learning what a virtuous woman is and the Spirit is teaching them, that's way bigger. It's way bigger, and it's way more lasting, if not permanent, right? So it's a big, big deal to dig into this stuff. It's a really, really, really important thing that God is doing with us right now. Yes, ma'am.
6: it'll
0: happen when I get married or I don't need to worry about that until I'm married. And it's, um, you, have to, you have to prepare. Absolutely. God's preparing you yep. for that. And how does the preparation happen? If we stick with what's written, as God has established it in his church and in the community of saints, how does that preparation happen? By the older women teaching the younger women. It's perfect. Unfortunately, in the world, the younger women don't want to hear it. Right? They want to hear what they want to hear so they go to their peers. It don't teach them nothing. This is why sticking with what's written is so important and so powerful and it's so perfect. You take a godly wife and and have her pour into an engaged woman or a or a, you know, a teen. That's alignment with the word, and somehow, some way, God works in that for the for the best of both. What are you gonna say, Dana? Um, the word also gives us uh, direction for
2: sure. Um, when the world is telling you um, feminism is this or um, you know you're equal, yes. the word tells us we are equal, but also tells us there is an order.
0: Exactly right. Equality, and that even
2: if. Bible, you'll see the distinctions between what the world wants to tell you, yep. um, submitting is a weakness thing, exactly you shouldn't right. submit, you're, you know, all these things are safe and, and the words and the definitions that I give you can change from color they feel from on a daily basis, so, yep. um, but when you stick to the word and it becomes something that just comes naturally out of you, um,
0: your husband, your family flourishes, exactly. right Yep. You can be strong in the submission. Absolutely. Um,
2: and I, I believe actually it's more, it's, you're showing your strength in you submission. Mm-hmm. You're saying to God, okay, God, I trust you. Yep. Even though I'm submitting to a husband that's not a believer, yep. mm-hmm. I can I can depend on God. I can depend that that um, through my actions what they see me do, that they're willing to come with me to church. That's right. That my kids are willing to come with me to church. Not all the time, but I'm going to have to keep on God's
0: that's right. You cannot read Proverbs 31 and not describe that virtuous woman as strong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's absolutely strong. Absolutely. She is strong by God's definition, which is what this whole study is about. She's excellent by God's definition. She's, I mean,
2: we'll we're, we're almost, uh, if you look at the order of things, Jesus is under the father, right? He submits to the father. just right. the wife submits to the husband. Yep. They are equal, but they
0: have their own order. There's an order. God orders everything. a lot
2: of strength in that. that My submission is um, um, not on equal grounds, obviously, but my submission is an act of obedience.
0: That's right. Um, That's why it says wives submit to your husbands as as to the Lord. Oh, we're, we're getting ready to get into that. <laughs> also, also in the Bible, it
5: says that when you do submit, you can bring them to the Lord. And, right. and you don't hear about men submitting and bringing us to the Lord. I'm like, that's a, that's a gift that we can bring
2: people to the Lord.
0: Great point.
1: This is, I think, for the men and the young men that are here, and that is courage. Mm-hmm. It takes a courageous man to, in, in, in virtuous nature to be the head right. of the home.
0: Which is why, where does this list start? Faith. Right. it's supposed to be. It's the way the community grows together. So let's look at um, just a couple of the texts that, that uh, we mentioned last week. And I'm only going to mention a, uh, a, couple of, a couple of things today and encourage us to continue to study these on our own. One of the cool things I know Diane um, did for our girls, and I thought it was just a beautiful Um, a beautiful example of this diligence piece, studying this with diligence, pursuing this with intentionality, believing this is where the Spirit has us, and responding to that. Not just saying, oh, that's a nice sermon, oh, that's a nice thought, oh, divine nature, okay, I get that. No, there's this is real, guys. And there's a real opportunity right now to really diligently practice this most excellent life and most excellent way to be a man and be a woman. So I, I, I know because she told me one of the things that we've been, she's been teaching our girls to do for many years now is to pray for their future husbands. And, um, and that prayer has always been, you know, make them be godly men, you know, make them be spiritual heads, make them be Christians, you know that, and that can be, um, you know, that can be a loose word to use. And so, and so, I know both of our uh, older girls were were listing the the attributes and the qualities of a virtuous man, and literally adding those to the prayers that they're making for their future husband. And I was like, man, that's just so awesome because now. Not only are they praying it, which means everything, but they're even learning it as they pray what a virtuous man really is, what a manly man is, according to God's definition, and what their role is as a future wife, being a virtuous woman. So, I mean, there's, there's and, and as um, Lacey found out, these are big lists. It's, it's, a, it's a long list to be a virtuous man. It's a long list to be a virtuous woman. There's a lot involved. And so to have these lists in place and visible and, and repeatable and even perhaps memorized, powerful. That is powerful protection against the nonsense the world calls strength yes. and the nonsense the world celebrates these days because it's so often the exact opposite right as we talked about recently the the, the gender roles aligned in scripture are being battled against right now heavily. Heavily. heavily right so to know these truths to have these truths um mined from the word and, and listed out or however you feel like doing it man that's just my encouragement is do that do that girls Get in the word and and write them all out. Everything that God calls you to be. Boys, everything he calls you to be, you should know it. It's all here for us. It's not, There's there should be no question where it is. There should be no question what it is. He's calling us to add to the faith if we are authentically born again. Now we gotta live like it. And how we live is, very specific. So listen to what um, we, we read here in 1 first, first Timothy chapter 3. First one I'm going to read is qualifications for overseers. Obviously, these are characteristics of a virtuous man. Uh, if, if a man de- desires the position of ber- a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, covetous, one who rules his house well, having his children in submission with all reverence, for if a man does not have to rule his own home, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest he be puffed up with pride and fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the snare of the devil. Next uh, section is qualifications for deacons. You'll recognize it's very similar. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy. Holding, on the, holding the mystery of faith with a pure conscience. But let those also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, be found blameless. Likewise, their, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be husbands of one, one wife, ruling their children and their house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith of Jesus Christ. So there in 13 13 verses is a very thorough list of a most excellent life. Things that are to be done and things that are to be avoided. Right? One of the things, this is the one bit of teaching I'm going to do today. So um, here's how I'm going to encourage the men because uh, this list to me highlights four things that are in alignment with multiple other lists in Scripture regarding the old nature, the flesh, and sin. And um, it's in particular how men deal with women alcohol, money, and anger. Um, Those four things, um, from what the word says and from just observing and judging the fruit in the church, these four things often come against men living excellently. And um, what's important to note is that all all four of these things in and of themselves are not evil. Right? It's it's the sin nature running amok with each of these four things. That's what causes problems. So really this the the sin with women is what? Lust. The sin with alcohol is what drunkenness. The sin with money is what, greed. Greed. The sin with anger is what, lack of self-control. I'll say violence, but lack of self-control, outbursts, fits of wrath—some of the ways that the scriptures teach it. So, um, you know, I I don't. um, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna speak much more about these four things. I'm just bringing these to light. When I read that list of qualifications for an overseer, which God's called me to be and qualifications for a deacon, which as far as I'm concerned, anyone that's following the Lord, um, that's the, that's the measure of what we're called to. That is an excellent life. That is manliness by God's definition. Um, Both of those lists um, include these things very specifically. And, the bottom line is that's, that's, those are exactly the issues that I see in the church, exactly. And this was written a long time ago. So there's nothing new under the sun. Satan's using the same garbage to trap us and ensnare us and cause us specifically to not live an excellent life, right? So I bring these things up to say, men, um, this is our, these are our areas to gain ground, these are our areas to be vigilant. These are our areas to, to be diligent about living um, virtuously. Okay. Now let's go to the women. Uh, we're going to go to two areas. First one is Titus. Chapter 2. If someone wouldn't mind reading Adele, perhaps. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Please. Now Proverbs 31, Titus in many ways just echoes what is, you know, probably the most thorough teaching in the scriptures. By the way, I I read this morning that um, virtuous woman or excellent woman, the Hebrew Hebrew translation for for virtuous is um, like most excellent is, is one of the best translations for it and it's literally only mentioned in the scriptures three times and um the first is uh Ruth is described as this in in Hebrew an excellent woman it's um it's mentioned in proverbs i think chapter 12 mm-hmm. and then it's mentioned in uh proverbs chapter 31 in detail so um you know sort of like the men there's there's not um in this you know many thousand page bible it's not like you got to you got to seek it out and it's difficult to find it's like pretty thorough in one teaching so that to me that always communicates this is a big teaching and it's probably most of what God's definition of a excellent life for a woman is 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 there. Everyone who who all studied Proverbs thirty one over the over the week? Good. Before we read it, any specific revelation that jumped out? Or anything that was especially convicting? (laughs) Bless you. That's a that's a big misconception. Yeah. That being in the home means you don't provide, or being a good homemaker or being a good mother means that you are not that you cannot make money, or you cannot be a part of providing. Yeah. I get the exact opposite from this. I liked how
5: it said that um, toward the end, ending part of it. It's that part where sometimes I think, as a, a wife and a mom, it can feel very. When will you see the fruit? And this guarantees you will see the fruit. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just like that part. And then I think thirty was just always a very good reminder that charm and beauty is passing, <coughs> and just how we just the world will tell a woman that getting older is not good, mm-hmm. especially from a, an exterior standpoint. Um, but that is those inner qualities
0: that make us beautiful. Right. Absolutely. Let's read let's go ahead and read this out loud if someone wouldn't mind. Verses ten through thirty. One? Well, I I feel like the Lord's just totally closing my mouth. Like this is to be dug into more by each of us on our own. I think this is very personal. So I'll just pray and be done. Father, we just uh, trust you. We trust this is all real. We trust that your spirit is real-time ministering to this body, lead us into all truth, and I pray that each of us would have the courage to, to hear what you're saying, to respond to how you are convicting, to follow. To where you are leading and I thank you in advance for the fruit that comes as we are sanctified as we learn to be partakers in the divine nature to live the most excellent way we thank you for the good fruit that comes may it be for your glory May it be for your namesake. May it be for the accomplishment of your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen.